the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave to me, I have given to them, and they have received them, and know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am asking on their behalf, I'm not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, Protect them in your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. The Gospel of the Lord. By the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. In the city of Rome today, there stands a stone monument called the Arch of Titus. It was built in the year 81 AD to commemorate the Emperor Titus's deification. You see, after a Roman emperor's death, the Roman Senate, if it deemed that emperor worthy, could vote to elevate that deceased emperor to the status of a god, equal to Jupiter, Neptune, Diana, Apollo, and the other Roman gods. What made Titus worthy of deification? He led the Roman army to utterly destroy Jerusalem and its temple in the year 70 AD, According to the historian Josephus, 1.1 million people were killed in that battle, a vast majority being Jews. After the Roman victory, any Jewish armed soldiers or any elderly Jews who survived were put to death. And 79,000 young, healthy Jews were sold into slavery. This resounding victory in battle 
brought glory to Titus and made him worthy of being raised to the status of a god. In our gospel today, on the night before he will be crucified, Jesus lifts his eyes to heaven and prays, Father, glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. The glory for which Jesus prays is a much different kind of glory than that which Titus attained. Titus killed, enslaved, and destroyed, and was rewarded by being made a god more than a human. Jesus, before he was born, was already God. And yet, as St. Paul wrote, he did not count equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Titus enslaved and killed people. Jesus took the form of a slave and allowed himself to be killed. Titus was human and was made a god. Jesus was God and willing to become human. Which has the greater glory, Titus or Jesus? Earlier in John's gospel, Jesus said, I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. This is the glory that Jesus prays for, writes Bible scholar John Shea. He wants to become a magnet, drawing all people to himself. But this desire is not to extol himself or seek individual fame. People come to the Son only to receive the life of the Father. God glorifies the Son by attracting people to him, and in turn, the Son glorifies the Father by communicating divine life to those people who had been attracted to him. Earlier, Jesus had said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus' whole reason for coming to earth was to communicate divine, abundant life into creation and in doing so, reconnect creation to the creator. To convey eternal life into creation and in so doing, to reconnect humanity and all of creation with God. But what is this divine life, this eternal life that Jesus conveys? At the beginning of today's gospel, Jesus prayed, Father, you have given the Son authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, 
and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is knowing God and Jesus. But when Jesus talks about knowing God and himself, he's not talking about knowing something about God and himself or being familiar with the Bible. Jesus is not speaking about head knowledge, but heart knowledge. Jesus was a Jew, and in the Jewish language, knowing connotes intimate relationship. When the book of Genesis says, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived, knowing refers to the intimate act of sexual intercourse. In the same matter, a person who has suffered for years with severe arthritis or neuropathy or migraine headaches can be said to know pain. They have an intimate relationship with pain. It is this kind of knowing, a participative knowing, that Jesus is referring to when he says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Knowing God and Jesus means experiencing God and Jesus personally and intimately having the mind of Christ, participating in the flow of divine love shared between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. This participative knowing, Jesus says, is eternal life. Jesus revealed and imparted to his followers a knowledge of God that was far deeper, more profound, more intimate and participative than the knowledge of God which any of the Old Testament patriarchs or prophets ever had. We know that in the Bible, one's name reflects one's character, one's nature, one's identity in God. When God called someone to be to a transformed identity and purpose, that person's name was changed to reflect that new identity. Abram became Abraham, Sarai became Sarah, Jacob became Israel, Simon became Peter. A similar renaming occurs in some Native American initiation rites wherein a young man is sent out from his village to seek his true divine identity. And he cannot return to that village until he has discovered his sacred name, who he truly is in the eyes of God, the Great Spirit. The understanding is that one's true life is not a matter of creating a special name for ourselves, but of uncovering the true name we have already in God. In the Old Testament, God's name was holy, mysterious, and ineffable. We should never take the name of the Lord in vain. 
when Moses asked God what God's name was, God replied with four Hebrew letters, Y-H-W-H, the meaning of which is unknown. The best guess that the Old Testament scribes could come up with was, I am who I am. And the best guess that modern Bible scholars have as to how that name might have been pronounced is Yahweh. But for faithful Jews even today, the name of God is so mysterious and holy that it is never spoken aloud. God's name reflects God's nature and the nature of God is unknowable. But in today's gospel, Jesus in his prayer tells his heavenly father, I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. In Jesus, God's name is revealed. God's true nature is made known to us. And in that knowing, that participative knowing, is eternal life. That we might remain in that participative knowing that that we might participate in eternal life is the whole reason Jesus came. I came that they may have eternal life and have it abundantly, Jesus said. That we might live in that divine name, remain in eternal life, is Jesus' fervent desire. Holy Father, he prays, protect them in your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. When we know God and Jesus Christ, knowing in a participative way, we become one as he and the Father are one. St. Peter, in his second letter, wrote, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him. And because of his glory, he has given us great and precious promises that enable us to share, to participate in, his divine nature. We participate in the divine nature. Some of the early saints of the Christian church, especially those of the Eastern Orthodox tradition today, call this our deification. This active participation in the divine life. But what a different deification this is from the deification of the Roman emperor memorialized in the arch of Titus. And here's the thing, my friends. As we participate in that divine nature, as we live into our deification, we are called to share that divine nature, that eternal life with others. And that calling is so important. 
John Shea notes that in today's gospel, Jesus is going to the Father and so will not be available in incarnate form. But those of us who belong to the Father and the Son are still in the world, continuing to carry out the mission of the Father and of the Son's love. To communicate divine, eternal life into creation. And it is our glory that we are able to do so.